0: Uh post-camp sermon, it's always a, a tricky one. We've just had this mountaintop experience. We've ridden the best roller coaster ride in the park. Now what? What do we do now? And just kind of recapping some of the great preaching that we heard. It was so helpful and so clear, helping us understand the truth about the gospel. Esai did a great job and thankful for what he was able to Share with us at camp and just kind of recap and think about that message from James how good God is, that God is this amazing giver of good. And we understand that we're the only ones to blame for our sin. It can't be God, it's not our parents, it's no one else, it's us. And God, in His goodness, offers us this amazing gift in the gospel. And it's not only that, but then he offers us in his word, not only the ability to be saved, but more. He helps us understand how to live as this new life that he gives us, to live as this new creation that he helps us become through the gospel. And we understand that as a new believer, I'm going to have a new heart, and I'm going to have a new life, and I'm going to have new desires and that's going to be hard for me to to obey Christ perfectly all the time, but I'm going to want to. And even in the, the overwhelming sense of that life as a Christian, we got some really great truth that Christ is helping us become precisely who he wants us to be. It's a great, helpful message and truth. And just thinking about that message, helping us understand what we need in the gospel and understanding how much God loves us. I believe that's a very familiar message to almost all of you. I think that's a message that you've heard a lot. It's one that you know that God does love us a lot, enough to give us his own son so that we could have this eternal life that the Bible talks so much about. And we know that that's a good deal for us. We understand it, and it reminds us of how much God actually loves us. But sometimes in overexposure to something or just so much familiarity with something, we just grow, I don't know, less impressed by it. I think that's true for a lot of things. It becomes less spectacular, right? As familiarity goes up, the impressiveness of that thing can go down. Happens with a new pair of kicks or a new, I don't know, hat, fresh cut. Those first few days, you like, man, I feel good about these shoes. People are noticing, commenting on them or that new shirt or whatever it is, but 90 days later, no one's impressed by that anymore, right? No one is. And, and, and that familiarity with it, it's kind of the same thing that can happen to us with the gospel. It's old. I've heard it. I know it. It's not new and no longer remarkable. Jesus becomes sort of just washed out in all of the things that fill our days in life. Has a way of just becoming muted and what he's like and who he is. It just becomes... Becomes kind of dull. Our reasons for why we need him and and why we should want to follow him and why we should want him to be our Savior and our Lord and our King, they just have a way of becoming meh. This morning, I want us to look at a story in Mark chapter 6. I want you to start making your way there now. Mark chapter 6. It's one of my favorite stories of Jesus' life. And I think it can help us fight that attitude that we can have sometimes towards Jesus and the gospel and and what our Savior is truly like. And if you're not sure about Jesus and who he is, if you've grown less impressed by the Lord of all, then you need to tune in. Mark chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 30. God's word says, The apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. And he, Jesus, said to them, Come away by yourselves to this desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, no spare minute, no moment of rest Not even a second to eat. That's what that word leisure is about. Verse 32. And they went away in the boat to this desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to Jesus, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. To set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. Mark spends significant portions of the first five chapters trying so hard to help his reader understand who is this Jesus. And I like Mark. Mark is not a man of many words. He says what needs to be said. And from chapter one, Mark just gets right into it. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Mark explains, and we don't have time to look at all of it, and I'll just recap it. Mark explains that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark wants the reader to know that, that Jesus is this Messiah that everybody's been waiting for. He's this promised king, this leader that all of God's people have been so longing to see. Jesus is really just the perfect representation of God. That's what Mark's trying to help us grasp. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, you could jot that verse down. Helpful verse that says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So what's Mark doing? Well, he's, he's helping us to see that Jesus' initial ministry was all about helping people know what God is like helping everyone know who God is and what God's like. And that's what we have here. He's the promised son of God, promised king, the one that the Old Testament just kept saying, he's coming, he's coming, hold tight, he's coming. The Old Testament was full of a lot of bad kings, a lot of men who God's people started to find hope in and then quickly that just vanished. Good feeling, gone. These good kings turned out to be bad kings, and God's people have never known a king who wasn't corrupted by sin. So Jesus has to teach his disciples what kind of king he's like, what kind of king he is, this very different kind of king. He's a king who who shepherds his people. He's a king who loves them and, and cares for them. He's a king who's with his people. It's a great reminder for us. We don't have to wonder what God's like. We, we don't have to wonder what Jesus is like because of God's word. We have this great picture of the kind of king and shepherd that Jesus is. Our big idea, just to try to give us something to launch out from, is this. I can trust Jesus for all that I need in life. I can trust Jesus for for all that I need in life. In in other words, you could just jot this down. Jesus is the most capable for what I need. He's overqualified for the job. If you like big words, you could write down, he's a sufficient savior, which means that I don't need anything else for salvation. And he's a sufficient shepherd, meaning there's nothing in my life that he can't handle. That's why I want us to see this. Jesus truly is the one I can trust for, for all that I need in life. I want to show you those truths. and We're going to do that by looking at this passage here in Mark and focused on these two groups following the narrative. One group really large and really hungry, and the other group a lot smaller, really confused. And both of these groups, listen, they're both lost Both of these groups need to see Jesus for who he is. They both need this glimpse of Jesus, the good shepherd. And that's the glimpse we need this morning. This is the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. Number one, he cares deeply. He cares deeply. The feeding of the 5,000, I know it's a story that a lot of you are familiar with. You've heard that story you know all about it. And verse 30 of chapter 6 just kicks it off here. The disciples, they're they're coming back from this mission. We didn't really get a chance to get into it, but here's the gist. Jesus had just sent them all out to preach and heal and cast out demons and start to spread this gospel message. And they have done that, and now they're back. And Jesus is telling them, hey, we need to get away for a little r a little rest here. You need it. Verse 31 tells us that their mission was successful and their success had made them busy and popular. Everybody knows now, not just Jesus, but the disciples of Jesus as well. And there's a lot of people surrounding them so much, look, that they have no leisure even to eat. They can't find a, a second to scarf down a chicken wing. They're busy. And that's the picture here. So Jesus, verse 32, he gets them into the boat. We got to get out of here. Let's, let's, let's go to a desolate place where the people are not. We see that they are headed to Bethsaida, which is certainly a, a desolate place. Just to give you a, a rough frame of mind to, to understand the desperation of the people, where they're going by boat is about a four-mile row. And by land, it's about an eight-mile walk. And the people want to get there. Something happens. Uh, The guys go ashore. I don't think we're really meant to focus on the details. Again, Mark, not a man of many words, but he wants us to see what's happening. Jesus and his disciples are in high demand. Verse 33, the, the crowds see where they're headed, and they're willing to run eight miles to get there first. Verse 32 is a verse that I want to draw your attention to. It says, when he went ashore, Jesus saw this great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Compassion, it's such a great word. It's it's such a strong word. Jesus felt sympathy and care and pity for these people, and it was, in the, it was in his guts. It was in the pit of his stomach. He felt such concern for them, and Jesus had this tender compassion, and it's no wonder this phrase, sheep without a shepherd. We'd have to back up a little bit in chapter 6 to understand Jesus is making fun of King Herod. He's taking a shot at who their shepherd's supposed to be, And you can read about his story starting in verse 14. It's a a sad story. The one who's supposed to be leading God's people isn't. His conscience is gone. He lives for himself. His compassion, it's, it's not there. In fact, verse 20, it says, King Herod feared John the Baptist, and he feared losing respect of his friends and his family even more. To the point where when his wife, who shouldn't be his wife, asks for John the Baptist's head on a plate, Herod says, of course. So when Jesus says these people are like sheep without a shepherd, he's he's helping us understand the people of Israel don't have the kind of king they need. They have Herod. They don't have the, the leader, the right one. They have the one who, who's who's not able to, to help them. There's no human leader that can help like Jesus can. And Herod is, is more proof, another one in this really long line of kings who neglect their duty. He isn't shepherding God's people. He's exploiting them. He's not caring for them. And Jesus sees these people and it hits him in his guts. It hits him right in the stomach. What compassion this deep... Compassion that he, he had for these people, lost, in need of help. They're defenseless. So Jesus, Mark records, teaches at great length. It's a short couple of words, but it's a long amount of time. Jesus was ready for some rest and relaxation with his disciples. Instead, he sacrificially gives. Why? Because of his deep compassion. Because of his care for these people. In the midst of a suffocating presence of a massive crowd, Jesus does what he always does. He has love and his compassion on display. He ministers to the needs of the people. Jesus isn't ever going to get overwhelmed. It's a good reminder. He isn't ever going to say to us, "Hey, look, I, I just could I just get five? I need a quick break." He'll never do that. He'll never say, "I can't deal with you right now." He'll never say, I'm, "I just got to catch a quick nap." He's always ready to to minister and care because of this deep compassion that he has. Jesus demonstrates this. He ignores his own comforts, his own needs to tend to these ones without a shepherd. And he teaches. Mark says it's it's an intense word. It's a kind of teaching that would be exhausting. He's drained even more so because he's just teaching and teaching, and it's long and it's strenuous. Jesus just gives and gives and gives and gives. But I want you to know why. I want you to understand. It's because His love is so deep, love's so strong for those who need this shepherd. So number one, Jesus cares greatly. Such a helpful truth. Not only is He kind of shepherd who cares deeply, but number two, He provides fully. Provides fully. Jesus went on to show his disciples another display of his power over creation, sort of starting in verse 35 here, that the sheep, with no shepherd, they need food. They needed spiritual food, of course. They needed help there, which Jesus is supplying through his teaching. No doubt it's the gospel that they're getting that's been Jesus' aim since chapter one of Mark, but they also are in need of like, you know, and then it's a double-double, like they need physical food too. They're hungry. So after some conversation, the disciples who are a little bit hesitant, they, they come to Jesus and they tell him, that we got to feed these people and Jesus tells them to take care of it. And they're kind of like a little snarky with Jesus, which you should never be. Like, what do you want us to do? We don't have like $200 million to feed all these people. And Jesus says, just go see what we have. So they bring these, you know, crackers and a couple of sardines here. It's five loaves and two fish. not enough food. And Jesus says, tell everybody to sit down. Verse 42, they all ate, it says, notice this, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Kind of compassion Jesus had for these people. It's deep in his care. I want you to notice this it's miraculously satisfying. What he provides satisfies, he provides fully. kind of care that Jesus has for you, it's tough to match. It's tough to quench. It's that number 5,000. It's, it's, we just read it and go, whatever. It's meant to make your jaw drop. Like, how can Jesus do that? How can he do this? What he can offer, it's bigger and deeper and way beyond what we can imagine because 5,000 really is probably more like 12 or 15. It's just counting the men. Sure, there were wives there and I'm sure there were a bunch of junior hires there who wanted a lot of fish and chips. And it's meant to make you go, man, Jesus, he gets it. He provides so fully, even to the point where there's plenty left over. So what's the point? Well, it's this. Jesus can provide for your soul and your life, and it's satisfying. What he offers is complete. What he offers you is total. What he offers you is lasting. In fact, he's the satisfaction that your heart is desperately looking for. David wrote in Psalm 23, speaking of God, the Lord is my shepherd. And there in Psalm 23, he writes, and I lack absolutely nothing. That's, that's really the, the, a better translation of that Hebrew. I lack absolutely nothing, not one thing, because Christ is my shepherd. What love Jesus has for us—that's what we're meant to see here. Incredible compassion, and what He provides—it's—it's—it's—it's it's it's, it's miraculous. The God who made you feels this in the pit of His stomach. This deep love and care that He has for you—and and get this, Junior Heart—he wants your soul to be satisfied in Him. He wants you, the inner you, that part of you that's hard to explain he wants you to find joy and satisfaction in him and he feels it in the in his guts why would god feel this way towards you the answer is same reason that he felt this way towards this massive crowd because you're lost because you're in need of a shepherd. You reject him as your shepherd. You choose instead to have no one care for you and to follow after your sin. You have no one to protect you or provide for you, no one to look out for you or help. So often Jesus is moved at unbelief as we follow his his story through the gospels. Often he's, he's emotionally moved when people refuse to believe. Jesus is a shepherd who cares deeply, provides fully. When you embrace the love that God has for you. When you put your faith in Jesus as the one who died for your sin on the cross, you will know a love like this. A love that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Listen to this long sentence, but it's so helpful. He says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the kind of love we're talking about. There's nothing that can cut you off from it. There's nothing that you could possibly dream up or imagine or make up. Nothing that's even in our future that we don't know about. Not even death can separate you from the love of this God. And it's amazing. So when we think of the kind of love that we talk about in the gospel, and I know we talk about it so often, don't let that love grow bland in your mind, in your heart. This love that Christ has for you, don't let it become unimpressive. Jesus wants to love me like this. It's kind of shepherding care that he offers. It's it's a deep care. It's, a, it's full provision. And, and one last characteristic, he sees all. You could also write this next to that. Jesus wants me to know what he's like. He, he wants me to know who he is. When I say he sees all, we're getting at the divine characteristic of God. And, and Jesus wants me to know that he is God verse 45, and we'll pick up the pace a little bit here. After the feeding of the 5,000, our narrative shifts to this little group of disciples, and he gets them in the boat, and he sends them on their way, and he's dismissing the crowd. This thing's over. Jesus is sending everyone home. The feeding miracle has sort of tipped the the scales in the minds of these, these crowds. They now understand how much Herod stinks, and they're starting to think Jesus would be a great king. And so it's often called this messianic fervor. They are really excited about Jesus, and it's not time for Jesus to be king yet. So Jesus has to force his disciples to get out of there. They're only going to make it worse. If they stick around, it's 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 going to get worse. So Jesus is pushing them out in the boat. They got to get out of here. In verse 46, Jesus wants to get alone to pray, and it's a turning point in the ministry of Christ. All these lost people are on his heart. Certainly what he would do for them on the cross is starting to grow louder in his mind, and so Jesus prays, and he doesn't just pray for this big group of people. I believe wholeheartedly he's praying and mindful of his disciples as well. Look at verse 47. Evening has come, and Jesus is alone, and the boat's out to sea. In verse 48, this is a bad picture. The disciples are in this really bad spot. They're not getting anywhere. It's painful, Mark says. Serious struggle because this wind is against them. And here's the picture disciples are doing what Jesus told them to do. They're in this boat trying to go where they're supposed to go. They're being obedient, but it's not easy. There's trouble in their obedience. This troublesome wind had come, and they're fighting against it from evening, Mark says, until the fourth watch, which is like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., That's a long time to be rowing against the wind. I've tried to row one of those boats at camp before. It's not easy, and there was no wind. And these guys are doing it for eight hours, full-out effort trying to row. And John actually records in John 6 that it's not only are they not getting anywhere, but it's actually getting worse. They're getting further away from where they're trying to get. But here's this gem for us in verse 48. God's word says this. Jesus saw his disciples. Probably three or four miles out on the sea. And they're far away. And Mark wants us to understand this truth about who Jesus is. He saw them. He knew what was going on. He knew their trouble. He knew what they were thinking. He knew their fear. He was mindful of their misery. Jesus could see precisely what was going on and and where they were, and he knew where they should be. I, I read this great line. Listen, it says, Think of the disciples' misery in that open boat, their feet soaking in that icy water, straining at their oars for eight hours. And how did the disciples get into this mess in the first place? There's only one answer Jesus put them there. He put them there. It was their obedience that got them into this this current situation. They were miserable because Jesus wanted them to be. And you may think, well, that's exactly why I don't want to be a Christian. It's too hard. It's being a Christian thing. It's not easy. Well, you're right. It's not easy. But Jesus is trying to teach his disciples who he is. and He's trying to teach them why it's so worth it. Hard, but worth it. The eyes of God were were fixed on them. He put them in the perfect place to help them learn what they need to learn. And verse 48 tells us that Jesus went to his disciples and he was walking on water. In this weird little phrase, he meant to pass by them pass them by or pass by them. It sounds weird, even for the Bible, to to our ears. It doesn't sound right. Like Jesus was playing a game or trying to be rude, or I don't know, why would he? Ah, ha, 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 you're in the boat. No, that's not what that is. It's not what that is at all. It's a phrase often included in the stories of men who wanted to see God, who wanted to be in God's presence Moses and Elijah would be two stories where you could find that exact phrase there, and they both share that detail that God passed by them. And it was used when God was revealing his divine presence, when God wanted somebody to catch just a glimpse of his glory, of who he really was. So here in Mark, Jesus walking on the water is for the disciples to glimpse the truth that Jesus is Who they're suspecting him to be. This is God. And it's meant to comfort them that God in the flesh is about to get in their boat. And now, for the second time, when he does, this wind that's been just destroying them and putting them in panic mode, it's gone. This king of ours is God. We don't need to fear. We don't need to question the difficulty of where God has us at the moment. We're right where we're supposed to be. Like the disciples, if we're following Christ and things are getting a little difficult, troublesome, we're meant to learn what they learned that night, we're right where we're supposed to be. My faith needs to be strengthened because Jesus sees me he knows precisely where i am and Jesus wants us to know who he is faith of the disciples it's weak here the rest of the text just explains that at the end they they react with fear and disbelief instead of having like a huge party in that boat instead of their faith just Being so emboldened, instead they're afraid. They still don't get it. They don't understand who Jesus fully is and what he's doing and the kind of shepherd that he's really like. Instead of being comforted, they're confused. This is the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. He sees all. He knows what's going on in our lives, too. He knows what you're going through. He, he knows it well. He knows the pain. He knows the, the struggle. And it's possible that he put you there. And you would say, why? It's just the same reason to show you who he is. Psalm thirty-two eight. write that down. God said in Psalm 32, eight, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 121, 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. It's recorded of Jesus in Hebrews 13:5. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What comfort there is knowing what our shepherd is like. Incredible comfort here in the shepherding care of Jesus. This is, again, one of my favorite stories, and I could could preach about this for weeks and weeks. It's such a great story, but I just, I wanted you to, to see it again, to be reminded again, in case that love of Christ has maybe just grown a little bland, a little dull in your mind, or maybe you just put your faith in Christ at camp or a few weeks ago or a few months ago, and you're starting to wonder, did I make a mistake? What am I doing? This, this Christian life, it's hard. Oh, but look at who your shepherd is. Look at who your savior is. Look at the kind of king that you have. This one who has such care for you, who can provide you with satisfaction that only he's offering. And who wants you to know who he is? This is our shepherd. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this truth. Lord, we're grateful for your word, to be taught by it. Pray for these young junior hires this morning. Lord, help us to catch this glimpse of, of you. Help us to see the reality. Not only are you a great Savior, but you are an incredible shepherd. Pray that you would help us bow our knee to you as our King. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.